I had a lot of fun yesterday. I got uh, to go and run in a race, and Christy was there. Um, she, but let me tell you, it kind of hurt. Um, it didn't hurt me that she beat me. Um, what, well, she finished, and then she went and got a shower, cup of coffee, changed clothes, and that didn't really hurt me, and I hadn't finished yet. But she went shopping for the clothes and came back, and I still, anyway, uh, but uh, there's, there's a speed demon right there. We had a lot of fun out there. But it's the first time for a lot of us that we've gotten out to do stuff like that. And for all of us, this is just a strange time. Uh, I'm interested, I, I only heard, I guess, when governments would have a shutdown that they would uh, release people who were non-essential. But when we're talking about essential and non-essential, is there anybody here who's really excited about being termed non-essential? I mean, all of us matter. And so uh, I'm grateful that we're here. And for those who are uh, joining us online, thank you so much. Uh, we know that your heart is here, and we'll, you know, see how God kind of unfolds things. But right now, I'm grateful for the marvelous grace of God that knits us together um, wherever we are. Now, those of you who have children know that you don't always have to ask their opinion to get it. I remember uh, traveling home one day from church, and this was back when... Uh, well, back in the day, and Sarah was old enough to know better, but still young, and uh, I'd locked up the church, and we were driving home. And Sarah said, Dad, you're a preacher, and your dad was a preacher too, wasn't he? I said, yes, he was. I said, well, what about his dad? I said, he was a preacher too. And uh, I said, uh, well, she said to me, we've got quite a tradition going. I guess Joshua, her brother, will have to be a preacher. And I looked over at her and I said, well, who knows, Sarah, it might be you. And she looked at me with those big, beautiful eyes and said, oh, no, Daddy, I could never make up those long, boring talks every week. <laughs> so um, just I cut her out of the will. But uh, she has now given me uh, three grandchildren, so she is back in the will. Uh, but I'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity to come together, even if, Sarah, it is with long, boring talks. So I'm going to not make this long. I'm going to try not to make this boring. But I want to speak to you about something that's really much on my heart. Now, when the kids come to us at the Methodist home, Something has gone bad in their home. I mean, they wouldn't be with us if something hadn't gone bad. So there's been some kind of a crisis. And so in the midst of that, we get kids who are wounded. Now, I want you to hear this really important thing. And then I, I want to go on to uh, lead into something that we all need to hear today. We have what we call the sanctuary model of looking at our kids. So, what, is, what does the word sanctuary mean? It's a safe place, isn't it? So, what we want to be for our kids who come out of dangerous places, 
and, and typically DFACS or Department of Juvenile Justice has taken the kids out of their home because it's become dangerous. And so when, we, when they come to us, we want to give them a safe place. Sometimes our kids have issues, and, uh, but here's how we look at that. They're not bad kids who need to be fixed. They're wounded kids who need to be healed. Do you get the difference there? I mean, we still have issues, uh, but we look at our kids as gifts from God, and we try to help give them God's grace. So I want to take you to a Bible uh, passage that deals with what it's like for uh, our kids uh, as they deal with issues in their lives. So this comes from um, Genesis chapter 37. Now let me just quickly set the stage. This is a story about Joseph. Uh, many of you will, kind of, will remember that, but in case it's a little foggy, Joseph is born to Jacob's favorite wife. Can you all say favorite wife? Do not ever say those words again. <laughs> you just know the story is not going to go well. Uh, but here, finally, uh, Joseph is born. He's the 11th out of 12 brothers. And dad just treats him from the outset as his favorite son. I don't know what all the other kids were wearing. I'm assuming some more kind of drab cloaks. But dad makes for Joseph a multicolored cloak. And boy, oh boy, that lights his brother's fire. Then Joseph adds to this. God gives Joseph two dreams. Do you all remember this? He has a dream, and he says, hey, I, was, I had this dream, and all of us were like 12 sheaves of uh, grain bound together. And all of a sudden, I stood up, and all of your sheaves bowed down to me. And the brother said, oh, really? And in what alternate universe do you think we're going to bow down to you? So they are just furious. Then he has another dream with essentially the same meaning. So Joseph's brothers grow to hate him. And now let's pick this up. Uh, Joseph's dad, uh, has, the other brothers are out taking care of the sheep. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they'd been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I'll send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Well, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him, they've moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Who knew they went to Alabama? Anyway, now here's where the story gets really interesting. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him from a distance. How did they recognize him? That creepy coat, multicolored coat that they despised. So they see him. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Well, I got a question for you. Did you ever fight with your brothers or sisters when you were growing up? Fighting is one thing. 
These guys wanted to kill him. I mean, they were mad. Now listen, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of all his dreams. Every day when I go to the Methodist home, I deal with kids who have had their dreams taken away from them. I remember one little uh, guy, Siler was just great. He was a stocky little guy, orange hair, freckles, and he had fire to go with it. Well, one night, uh, I don't know how he got into the administration building. Uh, Allison Evans, by the way, I bring you greetings from her. She's our president and CEO, a true treasure. And anyway, Siler found his way up to her office, and he was mad. I think some kid on the basketball court had done something to him, and he was just furious. He comes stomping into Allison's office and says, I want out of here. She said, well, sit down and tell me about it. So he just, you know, I'm so mad. and rah, rah, he just, She just kind of let him spew for a while. And then she said, uh, well, is there anything else? And he was wearing a T-shirt. And y y you all have seen kids do this. He grabbed his T-shirt and pulled it up over his eyes so that she couldn't see him. And here's what he said. He said, I'm turning... I think it was 11, in 18 days. And he said, I didn't have a 10th birthday party, and I didn't have a 9th birthday party, and I'm afraid I'm not going to have an 11th birthday party. Now, Allison said to him, Siler, uh, I don't know what your future's going to be and how long you're going to be here or if you need to leave, but I want you to know this. Before you leave here, we are going to give you a terrific birthday party. And then she asked him, so what's your favorite kind of cake? And this carrot tops it. He says, carrot cake. So she said, all right. Well, he had two of them on his birthday. But here's what I want to ask you. Should any kid have to worry about whether they're going to have a birthday party. But you see, he'd come from a place where they had stolen away his childhood. And what we try to do is help our kids have a restored childhood. They come from homes where their dreams have been stolen away. They come from homes where they have heard, you can't, and what we try to do is help them to find out, by the grace of God, you can. We want to give dreams back to them. You know, that's exactly what God does for every one of us. Because all of us have grown up in different kind of situations. I think about one of the little uh, boys who came to us. I'd see him pedaling around. He was just He wasn't mad at anybody. He'd just walk. He'd see you there, and he'd just... F you, <laughs> and flip you off, and we just sort of wave back and think, what on earth? But you know what God said to me? Bob, how many times did your parents ever say that to you? And of course, the answer is zero. 
How many times had he heard that in his life? There's just no telling. See, somewhere along the line, these kids keep hearing things that say, you're just not worth it. Somehow, they keep hearing, you're less than. And what we try to do is tell them, by the grace of God, you, are, you can be everything that God made you to be. And so when I see a mom putting an arm around her, don't miss an opportunity to tell your kids how precious they are. Don't miss an opportunity to tell them that they can become more than they could imagine. Tell them every chance you get that God made them and God is going to do in them something extraordinary. We want to give the dreams back to them. Jesus did that all the time. I mean, think about how often that happened. Rick uh, Lanford's preaching in the other services, and he told this wonderful story, comes out of Mark chapter 10, about a guy named Bartimaeus. He's a blind man. And Jesus comes along, he's hollering, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus gives his sight back, but I want to say to you, Jesus did more than that. I think he not only gave his sight back, he gave his dreams back. Now, I, I don't know what it's like to be blind. I think if any of us were asked, we'd say the one sense we would least like to lose would be our sight. But Jesus gave it back. And I wonder whenever he went blind, we don't know anything more about his story than that. I wonder if all of his dreams died along with it. I get that. But Jesus gave his sight back, and he gave his dream back to him. I think about how Jesus uh, went across a lake. He'd just been with people teaching them, and he gets in a boat and goes across the lake to the area called the Ten Cities. And he goes there. Now, this is a fascinating story. He goes over there in the dark of night, and uh, he gets over there. They land, and they land at a cemetery, and there's a demon-possessed man there. And this guy is raging around. They tried to bind him up with chains, but he'd even break those. This guy was crazy. But he comes, and when he sees Jesus, he falls down at his feet, and Jesus casts out the demon and restores the man to full health. Jesus gave his dream back to him and gave him a new dream. Now, you all know that in this story about Joseph, that his brothers are going to bow down to him, it didn't happen for a long time. The rest of the story, you can't do anything better this afternoon than go home and read the rest of the story in the book of Genesis. Start at chapter 37 and go to the end. But he goes to, as a slave for seven years, and then he's imprisoned. I mean, this is just a bad, this is a tough story. Until finally he becomes a second in command in Egypt. So let's understand that the dream that God gives to us may, it doesn't mean we're not going to have hard times along the way. Doesn't mean it won't unfold, but it does mean God will finally get us there. So anyway, Jesus goes over, sees this demon-possessed man, heals him, and I never realized this till I was listening to, a, I think it was a video or something about this. The guy, Jesus healed the guy, cast out the demon. The guy said, let me come with you. Jesus said, no, stay here and go and tell everybody what God's done for you. And then Jesus left. I never noticed that before. Goes all the way across the lake, stops, heals the guy, leaves. 
Now, here's a part of the story that I never knew. When the Christians were chased out of, uh, out of Jerusalem and were running for their lives, about 10,000 of them went to the area of the 10 cities. And you know what they discovered there? They discovered hospitality. They discovered that people welcomed there. They discovered that there were churches there. You know where they came from? One trip that Jesus made across the lake. He just goes over, casts a demon out as one guy, and suddenly the guy goes back and God uses him in an extraordinary way that he never could have dreamt. And long after that guy had died, it was these other Christians that had become Christians through his testimony who continued to pour out grace. This is what God does. He pours out grace for us all. He comes and he gives us back our dreams. I think about Simon Peter. You know, if there was one disciple who was always out front, it was Simon Peter. And Jesus is about to go to the cross and, you know, he's talking to his disciples and he says, you know, y'all gonna desert me. And remember, Peter says, no way. These other guys are losers. They may leave you, but you can always count on me, Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, before the cock crows three times, you're gonna, or, uh, twice, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter thinks, <laughs> but he does. And suddenly, Peter is cast adrift. Well, Jesus dies on the cross. He's raised on the third day. The disciples see him, but they're still trying to put their life together. You know, they had this dream that Jesus was going to be this, the Messiah, and somehow in their dream, it looked pretty good with them, like, right next to the Messiah. But... All this had happened, and now Peter just wasn't sure. Jesus comes by one day, uh, not long after this, and the disciples are out fishing. You know, when you don't really know what to do, you go back to what's familiar. So Jesus is out there, or the disciples are out there fishing, and all of a sudden they look, and there's somebody on the shore, and J Peter says, it's Jesus! And he jumps out of the boat, can't wait for the other guys, and swims over, and Jesus, he sees Jesus, and then has that incredible conversation with him. You all remember this? He asks him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, well, feed my sheep. And then he asks him again, do you love me? And then a third time. And it says that Peter was grieved when he asked him the third time. But you know what? Jesus wasn't putting Peter down. Jesus was lifting him back up. Now, I want you to get this. Peter thought, well, I had a dream that somehow I'd be useful to God, but I've trashed it all. And into that, Jesus comes and says, I don't care what failure has been in your life, I'm giving your dream back to you. And he restores Simon Peter. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you've heard when you were growing up, and I'm not asking for hands here, uh, but I'm telling you, anytime you get in a big group, there's somebody who grew up with 
well, how come you're not pretty like your older sister or younger sister? Or how come you're not smart like your brother, cousin, sister? You know, and somehow when we hear that kind of stuff, what we hear is you're not quite good enough. What I want to say to you today is no matter what you've heard, no matter what things have burdened you, God is here to give you your dream back. Now you say, well, you know, my dream was way back when. You know, God can give you a new dream. And there's some things that we may not be able to go back and do, but God is always the one who gives a new dream, and it's a dream for now. So let me just wrap up with this story. I, this one means so much to me, and she's saying, this is going on way too long, I agree. Can you hang in there with me for just another minute? Uh, here's a story. Uh, there were two boys walking home from school one day, and one of them had just, his arms were loaded with books and pencils and all this stuff, and he's walking along the sidewalk, the other kid's walking behind him. These two boys don't know each other. And as he's walking along, all of a sudden one of the books shifts. You all tell me, what happens? It all goes, and it just exploded onto the sidewalk. Well, the kid who was behind saw this, and he stopped, and he starts picking up some stuff and kind of handing it to him. And then he looks at the guy, and he says, well, no wonder you dropped all this stuff. You got too much to carry. He said, do you live near here? The guy said, yeah, a couple blocks over there. He said, well, here, let me, I'll, I'll help you. So he picked up some stuff. So the two boys walk over to the, to the house. And when they get there, the boy who dropped the stuff said uh, to the other kid, said, remember, they didn't know each other, said, uh, you want to come in for a minute? And the kid said, okay. So they go in. All right, we're going to just cram the story together. The two guys become best friends. Now we're going to cram more of the story together, and it comes to graduation. And at graduation, the kid who dropped the books is the valedictorian. And the valedictorian gets to give the speech. An experience I have not had. But anyway, the valedictorian gets up there. And so this is the kid who dropped the books. And nobody who was there ever forgot what he said. He got up and he, he said to them, you all know that, and he named his buddy, he said, he's my best friend. But I'm going to tell you something today that even he doesn't know. And he recounted the story. He said, you know, he and I met when I was carrying a bunch of stuff home and I dropped it and he helped and went to my house. But what he doesn't know is the reason I had all that stuff in my arms was I just cleaned out my locker because I was going home to take my life that night and I didn't want to leave a mess for my family to have to clean up. So when he stopped and picked up those books for me, he didn't just help me pick up books. That day he saved my life. And I think about how Many people there are around us, we just don't know that they are at the end of their rope. And God comes to us and gives us the opportunity to reach out and in the name of Jesus love them and tell them that God yet has a dream for their life. And brothers and sisters, he does for you and for me.